welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point. Because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl and the Gov podcast. I would just like to, you know, direct everyone to go to YouTube to watch this episode and see my new apartment. <laughs> she's gorgeous. She's beautiful. She's stunning. Honestly, kind of in the same style vibe as your previous one. I feel like you really yeah. like like white neutral aesthetic mm-hmm. with a touch of green though. Yeah, I have a few plants. This is by no means done, but it's a sneak peek into the final product. Yes, I like whites and creams and neutrals. I'm going to bring in some other colors in this place. I have more things to get, but yeah, she's cute. She's solo. She's in a studio by herself, sans roommate. So just living, living my best life. Are you like used to it yet? Or do you feel like it's like your roommate's just like gone for the weekend vibes? Mm. I feel like I'm more in just a place where it hasn't fully hit me yet. Such I mean, also on thing. the work days, it's like we're both we were both just separated into our own rooms working the whole time. So it's like it's not like these weekdays are that different, you know. See. I'm only like two blocks from my la- my last place, so I'm not. It's not that different neighborhood wise, but I'm on a much better street. It's much more quiet. I'm in a bigger building. So there's like a bunch of units in here. Whereas before there was just one in my last one. Oh, weird. So just like little tweaks. Yeah, I know. It was like a small That's building. That's wild. Huh. Yeah. All I can say is my biggest takeaway, since I didn't see it in person, but my biggest takeaway from like pictures, vids, whatever coming out of that apartment was that time that you saw that dude out of your window that looked like Joe Biden. And we were from it was his doppelganger. And like that is like to me, the epitome of that apartment that that picture like comes up on my little you know how like the iphone just does like little highlights yeah like randomly. a time hop situation yeah like i'll re- randomly see that picture and i'll just laugh like he literally was joe it was crazy i was like do i need Tell to go down there and introduce myself <laughs> like what if can you imagine like the conspiracy theories oh my god wait do you have like a celebrity doppelganger no I mean, people have like given me random ones like that just make absolutely no sense. Like I used to get like Lindsay Lohan because I'm like, okay, why? Because we both have freckles. Like that just makes no sense. I got that once too, but like it was a homeless (laughs) dude on the street. (laughs) (laughs) This dude was like, Lindsay Lohan. I was like convinced I was Lindsay Lohan and kind of chased this for like a block. And I was like, stop. Can't say Anne. She also just had a baby. I saw that. Wild. Her. There's a lot of crazy pop culture happening right now. Like Ariana Grande divorce. Is it Penelope Cruz divorce? No, Sophia. Oh, Sophia. How do you say her Vigara. last name? Yeah. Yeah. Who I love. And then there was something else. Oh, yeah. Gigi Hadid got arrested for weed in, where was it? Like the Bahamas or something crazy? Somewhere tropical. Some, some bougie vacation she was headed on. She probably brought her little like edible gummies and just got arrested in a foreign jail like that's actually my biggest fear because <laughs> some of those yeah, places like there. when I went to Thailand in high school they were basically like whatever you do like 
don't make a little mistake that could get you arrested because tourists have like been arrested in Thailand and like truly never got out even on like the tiniest of things like yeah they find like a smidge of weed or like anything like that but anyways yeah sort of in this line of things and granted I only read the beginnings of this story this morning so I'm sure it's evolved but did you see that like someone stepped over the line in the like shoot what's the zone called but like between South Korea North Korea and it's like literally like a physical like like, drawn line and he's like in custody from it's American in custody from like the North Koreans Really? That's like yeah. a thing? Yeah. Oh my God. Apparently, tra- like in the article that I was reading this morning, again, I, I'm sure this has evolved since. I just haven't had the moment. Is that like Trump's like stepped over the line like back in the day and was like a whole thing? Of course he did. Which scandal? Which scandal? Wait, Truly. also, did you see that I started an ick list? No, tell me about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So, the last two newsletters, I did summertime scandals because there have been so many scandals going on that like, we got we to gotta cover some of them. But then there were a bunch of people that were, were just giving such icks that I was like, you know what? It's an ick list. And also a good reminder to tell everyone to subscribe, share with friends, all that stuff. Help us grow the newsletter, get in more inboxes, all the stuff. But one of them, did you see the RFK shit that was going down? Mm, a what little a, bit. The guy, the guy could not continue to get wackier. Like, he is the definition of wackadoodle time. Wackadoodle time. Truly. I, just, I, I there's that. There was also the Fox News guy who like had his mom on the show. <laughs> that was, was like called him out and that was the content I truly did not know I needed. Oh, a thousand percent. That like, will be featured in next week's edition because obviously we missed the boat on it today. Yeah. Well, yesterday, two days ago. Oh, my God. Counting so hard. But no, like literally that was iconic. Also, it really is like so interesting to see like when there's parents that are have one political belief and their kid has a totally different one. Granted, clearly he's doing it for like the money and career. I'm curious how deep he like. I know. She like started it by being like, I'm so proud of you and all your success. And I'm like so curious if my parents, how my parents would feel about me working for Fox News and like getting a primetime TV slot. Like Mm, like my dad hates Fox News so much. Like I wonder if he would be like, no, you're not fucking working there. What are you thinking? (laughs) Like I this guy's like Democrat progressive mom is is like proud. Are you proud? Like I feel like that would just be fuck a title fuck your salary like you're doing the devil's work you know i feel like a parent's perspective depending on the parent i think every parent's different it's like probably a like a layered nuanced feeling like the idea in which like your child has succeeded for their dreams like you're happy for them in the capacity in which they've achieved something you know like that way but then like totally disagreeing with it my parents would personally murder me i'd be dead dead i'd be you know or i just i just go missing i'd be like yeah. sent off in a canoe somewhere they would put like, me in like wilderness camp and be like yeah. no oh a thousand percent <laughs> we actually go figure your so, life out so my family always has like my my dad's very insistent that we always have an emergency canoe at all times oh. and like no matter where we've ever moved there's always i swear to god the first purchase is a new canoe this is one canoe from i can't remember if this was like from when my dad went to camp or from camp counselor times but regardless this this canoe was beloved 
and a tree fell on it during a hurricane and split it in half. It was literally, you would have thought a person died. No, no, it was like the world had ended. Nothing could bring this canoe back. It was like a full split. It was ridiculous. But anyways, regardless, we always have a canoe. And now there's just all this like flooding everywhere and just like horrible weather, obviously hitting across the across the country. And like, thank you, climate change. Thank you, oil companies. Thank you, mass production, blah, 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 blah. I have actually an interesting tangent off of that. But oh, well, just another everyone get yourself an emergency canoe. Because yeah, now I can no, no longer is, make fun of my parents. I've never heard of that in my life, but I think that's really endearing. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> I love it. Some there's, people there's get dogs. About- some people get canoes that they love, you know? It's there's just, one thing about the Cantor family. They will always have an emergency. <laughs> that is a fun fact. I love that. No, a headline that stuck out to me today was from, I was just like on AP and I was, it's this headline, House Republicans propose planting a trillion trees as they move away from climate change denial. Did you see this? I did see that. I was like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? So of course it's like not exactly as that sounds. Like basically it's them acknowledging that there needs to be climate related policy and solutions because like the world is warming and like shit's hitting the fan. And so I guess it's good. They're like acknowledging that there is a need for some type of solution, but like their solutions are planting trees, which is great. Thumbs up to that, but it's only a, I guess, distractor so that they can still promote oil and gas energy production. So it was just very interesting to like see that headline dive in and be like, oh, well, at least they're acknowledging climate change, but their solution is still so far off the mark. Like, of course. A thousand percent. And they like won't talk about reducing emissions or any of that stuff. Like, they're like, oh, like, well, they're acting as if like you can just like take that solution off the table and put this solution on it. Like, that's not how that works like planting more trees by all means like in areas in which they are needed for sure but that doesn't replace mm-hmm. reducing oh and mccarthy says just... we need to manage our forests better so our environment can be stronger and they like reference to like the m- more canadian wildfires and stuff and i was like it's just triggering to when we had like the worst fires in 2020 and trump was like just go sweep the forest floors there's too much brush on the ground i'm like Go fuck yourself. Okay. Seriously. No. But the image of Trump sweeping a forest floor. <laughs> that I would pay to see. Honestly. It was be- never going to be him that did it. Oh. Unless. There's got to be a way Californians to need to go clean up their forests a little bit. But if you told him that there were classified documents <laughs> lining the forest floor, then maybe he would do it. Totally. And speaking of Trump, too, and classified documents and his criminality, there's another criminal probe happening. And so, again, just another shout out to the tarot card readers on my TikTok who have just been, you know, informing me that what I've been manifesting is just right around the corner. And, you know, it's coming to fruition to just stay positive, stay strong, and it'll happen. And I'm feeling progressively better every day seeing some of these headlines regarding Trump. Switching his orange orange tan for an orange orange jumpsuit because you know he's not going to be able to tan in prison. How long have you been waiting to drop that one? I just came <laughs> up with that right now. Good, it's gold. Thank you. <laughs> Good as gold. 
I'm just Wait. looking at his terrible, terrible tan right now on my screen. I'm just like, it's so bad. I, gotta, I wish I could just like consult him a little bit. Like, you need to get a new product. I want. Oh God, I really want to know what he uses. Well, which you know which what one? I also want to know is, does he do it himself, or does he hire someone that's like a professional spray tanner? Well, he doesn't do it on his whole body. He only does it on the neck up because his hands are always so white. So, so it also could be like, like makeup. Mitt? He could be using a mitt. He could be using some type of tan mist, tan drops into his moisturizer. But that looks a lot like makeup to me, at least in this one picture I'm looking at. Like it looks like kind of cakey, like, oh, you know, so I feel like it's yeah, it's probably a mix. But I think it could also just be like bronzer, like OG Jersey Shore edition where they just like spray bronzer on their face. Do you remember like in Jersey Shore when they used to do that? Just like on the screen, they'd just be like, just full re-up. <laughs> the way I would die. You know how when you tan, like whether it's you're tanning yourself or you go get a spray tan, like it's such a vulnerable position to be in. Like you're naked, mm-hmm. like you're maybe wearing like a weird hairnet or like headband. And the like paper thong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like in the spray tan machine during these weird positions, like I'm just imagining him doing that, especially like the hair part. Like, is he wearing a shower cap? What's he doing with his hair? Because his hair is blonde and it's thin. So but it's you know very what? susceptible Actually, to getting tan on it. <laughs> I'm just like imagining like- him in the process. And also like, does he have his assistant do it? Or like, who's doing it for him? Who does his glam? Okay. Well, that was mm-hmm. big, big tangent. But we do have an episode to get into today. This is a good one. And this one we have not covered before and super super interesting and very important so Samantha do you want to do the honors and introduce our guest today happy to so today's episode is all about Rikers federal receivership reforms of making change this has been a topic that you may have seen in the news for quite some time for honestly years and years and wheels are definitely turning changes hopefully around the corner in motion Regardless, we talked to Jeray McKesson, who is the executive director of Campaign Zero, who has been at the forefront of the Rikers campaign for federal receivership. Receivership. Anyways, we're getting into it. So without further ado, here's Jeray. Before we continue with the conversation, we wanted to let you know about another podcast you might enjoy. Are you desperate for American leaders who are ready to meet the challenges of our time? An honorable profession podcast brought to you by the team at The New Deal is here to help. Every week, the podcast introduces listeners to a future game changer in American politics. Past guests include Pete Buttigieg, Senator Alex Padilla, Mandela Barnes, and Mallory McMorrow, national figures who got their start in state and local office and as New Deal leaders. The podcast puts a spotlight on the rising stars who are working to build better communities across our nation as well as the innovative ideas these officials are testing to address climate change, preserve democracy, and face down the other challenges of our time. From fare-free transit in Kansas City to renewable biogas in Lincoln, their guests tell us how they're implementing forward-thinking policies to restore trust in government and rebuild hope for all Americans. Tune in to learn more. You can listen to An Honorable Profession everywhere podcasts are found. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. 
If you work in the political space, listen up. Here at Girl on the Gov, we have built our whole business around effectively marketing political messaging through digital media. And we want to help you do the same. We have a full digital media consulting menu these days tailored specifically to the political space. Number one, hashtag viral. It is our paid social media newsletter that comes straight to your inbox every Tuesday. If you've ever thought uh, this meeting could have been an email, this newsletter is for you. We give basics to best practices, platform updates, and the content ideas you need to go hashtag viral. And for offering number two, if you want some one-on-one face-to-face attention, we offer that too. We provide social media audits and consulting to help you achieve the conversions and engagement you've been hoping for from your social media content. And number three, in our newest edition, Podcast Consulting, we are the minds behind this gorgeous political podcast for young voters that we've been running for two and a half years now. So we know a thing or two about how not only to get a podcast off the ground, but how to grow an audience. We provide podcast consulting for anyone trying to get their podcast started or provide podcast audits for those who have started their pod but want to see it take off. Podcasting is a great new in-house digital media marketing tool and a great way for any candidate elected or org to amplify their work and their voice. So head to girlonthegov.com slash consulting to learn more about our services and to sign up for hashtag viral to start slaying the beast that is digital media. Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feed is flooded with customized this and personalized that, all promising to fix my split ends and my dry skin and all of the things. But when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. And your formula literally couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of pros custom hair care and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals, and they get personal. Pros covers everything from diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They even asked me about, you know, where I live, the water hardiness that I have coming from my shower, UV index, all of the things. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing pre-mixed, nothing off the shelf. And I know from experience, one-of-a-kind formulas equal one-in-a-million results. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed that my hair is definitely fuller. I have thinner hair that just like will not hold a curl or stay voluminous. And ever since using pros, that has changed. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering an exclusive trial offer. So you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash girlandgov. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash G-I-R-L-A-N-D-G-O-V for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash girlandgov. Welcome to Girl and Gov, the podcast. We have so much to get into. And a lot of it dealing with Campaign Zero. And you are the executive director of this organization. Can you walk us through what you guys do, what it's all about? Give us the the whole backstory. 
Yes, I was one of the original protesters in Ferguson in 2014. It's sort of wild to think that it'll be 10 years next year since the mm. protests began. And we were in the street for 400 days. You remember that time. And we looked up and I was sort of like, how do we make sure this never happens again? And staying in the street wasn't a solution to make sure it never happens again, but staying in the street did help us create a sense of urgency for people to think about the problem. So starting Camping Zero with this idea that we can get to zero. We can get to zero people harmed by the state, killed by the police. That is what we believe. And we believe that zero is like a reset so that we can build the world that people deserve. So we, 90% of our work is policy related. It is, it is undoing bad laws and structures and da -da -da. And then 10% is like direct service. So, you know, we just did a family fun day at the largest homeless shelter in New York City. We do Thanksgiving and Christmas programming at homeless shelters, both in Baltimore and New York City. We'll do other cities next year. We do screenings and movies that are about justice. But most of our work is policy related. Mm hmm. You guys have a bunch of campaigns that are in action, and one of them is revolving around Rikers Island. And I'm not a New Yorker, so but I have a general idea. But for those who like don't know really what Rikers Island is and like what's kind of been going on there for years and years, can you kind of give that snapshot and background for everyone? Yeah, so we have 35 campaigns right now in play, which is sort of wild. Every campaign is a different topic area and we create a unique data set, a solution set. But I'll ask you first, both of you, what is the difference between a prison and a jail? Rikers is a jail, by the way. If I remember correctly, and I don't think I would quote myself on this, was that a prison is more of like a long-term holding. Yeah. Jail is like temporary. Yeah. That's so like so pre-trial, you would be like held at a jail, but you would not necessarily be held at a prison versus yeah. like one sentence. Or it's like before Did you I get, get convicted. Yeah, but yeah, these are that. So it's so simple. It's like jails before conviction, prisons after. That's like one of the biggest defining features. Misdemeanors are jail, felonies are prison. And towns and cities run jails. Prisons are all run by either the state or the federal government. Mm-hmm. That's like, so Rikers is a jail, which is big for people to know because people think that the terms are interchangeable, but 95% of the people at Rikers haven't been convicted of anything. They are just being held there waiting for a, a trial. The only people convicted in jails across the country are people who have uh, like essentially day sentences. So like if you, if you get arrested for loitering or whatever, or jumping a turnstile, you get sentenced to five days in jail, you'll do it at a, you'll do it at a jail. You won't get Got a five-day okay. prison sentence. You won't, you'll get a 30-day jail sentence. So there's like 5% of people at Rikers who have less than one year as their consequence, but everybody else is awaiting a trial. Mm -hmm. That is crazy and wild on so many capacities, but even too, I feel like the branding, for lack of a better term, around Rikers is more like a prison. Like, Absolutely, oh, the people yes. held there are ultra-violent like felony offenders and like maybe it's also law and order is to blame because I feel like yes. as a kid, that's like the first time yes. I learned of Rikers was like, <laughs> yes. oh, like they're like threatening whoever they're interviewing, I'll send you to Rikers, like that sort of mentality. And it's just hard to like sort of separate yourself from what you just have absorbed and then what obviously the reality is. But I'm curious to that point though, like why is that the case? Like why has Rikers been built up to be sort of this holder of incredibly violent people and this like almost like Gitmo of American crimes. 
great propaganda from the police about it. And what's true is that, so as you know, New York City, biggest city in the country, at one time it was the biggest jail in the United States. So it, it, is no, it, is, it is no longer the jail that holds the most people. So at the height of Rikers, 20,000 people would be in the jail every night in the 90s. So many people were incarcerated at Rikers that they didn't have enough beds. So they would put people on buses, drive them around at night so they could sleep and then drop them off back on the island in the morning. So it did used to just be a massive holding facility for people. And that was at the height of the scary, like the drama around Rikers comes from the 90s. And the commissioner of Rikers then is a good guy. We know him. And he is like, it is wild. Under de Blasio, people give de Blasio a hard time for a lot of reasons. And he's an easy guy to give a hard time. But I will tell you, under de Blasio, it was the lowest number of people ever in the history of Rikers. At the lowest, it was about 4,000 people incarcerated at Rikers on a given day. Again, 20,000 was what we came from. So that was 4,000 is lowest. A million people. You know, it's a couple million people in New York City. It's a, there are a million students in the school system. So this is a, huge place right mm-hmm. uh the hard thing that happened is that under adams more people have died than almost any other time that we can record and the last thing i'll say about Rikers that makes it a unique and that makes it unique actually in the worldwide landscape of prisons is that there are probably about 5,500 people Rikers, 6,000 people Rikers today there are almost 10,000 guards so it is one of the only prisons in the, in one of the only jails in the world where there's almost a two to one ratio of guards to incarcerated people, which is wild. Yeah. That's a lot yeah. of guards. <laughs> Not to mention guards. that it's like, when you think about like the math that I think about in contrast is like the student to teacher ratio and how yes. many students you have in a class. Mm. And it seems like, Look, we are not math girls here, but if I were to like think about that, it's like, so we have more guards per prisoner than we're paying for more teacher to students. It's almost like I set you up for this. So New York City students, (laughs) $20,000 per student. How much do you think it costs to incarcerate one person at Rikers for a year? I would definitely double Um, it. That's for for sure. But give me a I guess 65K. 160. It is $550,000 a year to incarcerate one person at Rikers. Shut up. What? Isn't that wild? It's insane. And it's like, you could actually give everybody accused of a crime that a quarter of that money and they'll never commit another crime in their life. Do you know what I mean? Literally. Totally. Oh my God. That is insane. Like I'm like in my head right now, it's like all the things that would be cost equivalent to that, like buying a house, like paying for college, healthcare debt that you'd be paying off, like all those things. And the really wild thing is if you look at Rikers on a map, remember it's an island. So there's one way on, one way off. You got to cross a bridge, which means that you can't just like go to right. Like you will not get on the island. They'll stop you. You can't just like, you can't drive on it. Right. You can't walk across the bridge. There's like a bus stop that is like the Rikers bus stop. So like you go get on the bus and come over. The challenge with that is that the guards have total control over whether you make court or not. Mm. So say, for example, they don't like you. Yeah. Say two people don't come in today. And you have your court date and just somebody has to drive you to court because it's an island. So they can't, the guards, you know, in some, like in Baltimore, the, the holding facility is attached to the courthouse. And so somebody just walks you upstairs, right? In New York City, you have to be driven because there's, you're on an island. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that's happened under Adams is that the guards either don't come to work or da da da. 
So you have a date, you have a, you, you know, say today's July 1st, you have a July 20th court date. That day, no guards come to work. You are now pushed back another six months just because it takes so long to reschedule. So you're held for another six months, no fault of your, you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't mess up. Your lawyer was prepared on July 20th, but they just did not take you to court. And now you are waiting another six months for rescheduling. Because remember, they have to reschedule every witness. They have to Mm -hmm. reschedule the jury. They have to get all the evidence back, the police, all like that is, that's not your fault. You did not do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's an admin failure to the nth degree. But I'm curious too, like what's, the current status with Rikers, like I, you mentioned like these different mayors and how, you know, things kind of shift with what things look like, but I'm curious why that is. What are kind of like the main drivers for different mayoral administrations, like of what you see then happen at Rikers? That makes sense. What are the kind of things that then funnel into the problems that are seen at Rikers dependent on like who is in power, who's mayor? So de Blasio was actually good. You know, again, people give de Blasio a hard time on criminal justice and stuff. He was actually great. It's the lowest number of arrests in the history of New York City was under de Blasio, too. So he was good. On his way out, he appointed Vinny Chiraldi. He was now the secretary of juvenile justice in, in Maryland. But he's like a reformed guy. And he was the last commissioner and is a good guy. He was doing good work. And then, you know, he leaves Adams. Adams fires him and we get Molina and Molina is terrorizing people. So there's that. But in terms of what's happening, you know, there are three big things. One is that Adams is really beholden to the corrections officers. He is a former police officer. So whatever the corrections officers want, he, regardless of whether it makes sense. So I'll give you a mundane example, is when all visitors at Rikers were banned, drug overdoses and contraband increased. So who's coming to the island if every visitor is banned? The right. employees are the only people on the island, right? Mm. So you're like, well, how do how do knives and machetes and drugs get to, how do they get on their metal detectors or that? So there's been a long-standing rule at Rikers, this is so basic, but that cargo pants are banned for corrections officers because you can bring, bring things in through cargo pants, right? Right. One of the rules that Molina just undoes is he's like, everybody can wear cargo pants. And you're like, this is, so what the officers do is that they actually tape things to their leg to go through the metal detector, so like machetes, drugs, whatever. Because if you put enough duct tape around your body, it actually will neutralize the metal detector and the guards know it. So it's like these sort of things, it's like, you're like, why would you, why did it, they don't need cargo pants, it's a jail. You know, like, what do you need? You're yeah. Like, the other thing at Rikers is that there are about 300 guards who are on medically modified duty which means that they have a designation that says, even though they're a guard, they can have no interaction with inmates. What does it mean to be a guard in a jail? They can't interact with inmates. I don't really know what that means. So there's a guy- Yeah, what's the point? There's a guy who dies at Rikers. So the way, you've probably seen a picture of a jail. So there's a bubble. There's like a, a guy sitting high up in sort of a community area who like presses the button to open the doors. And then there's the floor where like people are just hanging out and da da. This one guy chokes on an orange. The guard in the bubble watches him die and says, I have a medical modification. I can't come in contact with inmates. Literally watches him die. And you're like, well, that can't be, that can't be right. And the third is that there's just no consequences for, um, for guards at Rikers right now. 
So that guy didn't get in trouble. You know, one of the things that Adams and Melina do, Melina is a commissioner, is that if you're gonna, if they know you're gonna die, they will just release you from Rikers custody before you die. So there's a guy who like, so there's a guy who like, they, the, the jail said that he died from something, but, but the autopsy was like, he had a concussion, like something happened where he was violently hit. And that is how he died. The jail said he was sick or something like that. So it comes Mm -hmm. out later, but they don't count it as a Riker's death because right before he technically died, they released him. So he, what is true is that he did not die in the custody of Rikers. And they played those sort of games. And this administration has also said that they will no longer report deaths to the public. So we actually don't know how many people died at Rikers in 2023 because they're just like, no, we're not going to report anymore. You're like, that is wild. Insane. So wild. I'm, so many also like rabbit holes we could go down. Yeah, all it's so many angles. But I think like a question that comes to mind is like, what's the benefit to the Adams administration? Like to me, this is like direct harm to people in society. Like I don't get like from like they're clearly playing a game. I feel like it's political, what is, right? He got elected with this like political landscape where it's like democratic cities, the crime, the crime, the crime. And then like he has to come in and be hard on crime. Is it like have something to do with that? That political just throw people in jail and like you can't see it. So can't worry about yeah. it. We're trying to figure out, too, where this comes from. So I think that's a part of it. I also think there's like a, you know, he has a big ego and he doesn't. So we're pushing for a receiver. We're pushing for the judge to appoint a receiver, like a third party, to take the jail away from the city and run it independently because we have no faith in Adams. That is over sure. And Adams is like, doesn't want to be known as the mayor who lost Rikers. I think Adams is, you know, you probably worked. Have you ever worked in government at all or like taught or anything? You know, people come in and they're just like, I got it. Like, Adams definitely came in like, I'm smart. I got it. It's like, it is hard. You're running a system is actually just a hard thing to do. And Adams and Melina came in like, those idiots didn't know what they were doing. We got it. And it's like, it actually is a hard thing to do. And they just like, will not contend with that. So I think that their egos are like much bigger than their skills, I think is is also what's happening. And they know that people like don't really, you know, people think it's a prison. People think everybody did something. Like, so there's not a lot of pressure on, on them mm-hmm. to like do right by people because people are like, well, why are they in jail in the first place? And you're like, you know, remember that the law and order does not do this well. But remember that the trigger for jail is really low. It's a really low bar for jail. So if an officer walks up to you today and says, I think you stole from the store, that's all they need. They don't need to put you in jail requires nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. That is it. Like it, you don't get a trial. You don't get a hearing. They will just arrest you and you will end at Rikers. You, there'll be a process after that. Maybe the next day or the night you'll get a public defender, but to lock you up requires one officer's beliefs. That's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. And that is sort of a wild thing too so wild and i yeah i really do think it just has so much to do with the kind of narrative around crime and safety right now and the political narratives around that the pressure that's being put on democratic mayors specifically yeah it's all very interesting but you mentioned this federal receivership and we want to get into our i have a stupid question segment really fast to kind of define that and define a few things can you first explain and kind of give the background like what is a receivership how does it work so receivership just says, here's the thing, is that the city is unable to execute its obligation to run something efficiently in, in the honor of people's dignity and lives. So the courts, the federal courts can 
appoint a third party that reports to the judge herself. There's a, there's a, a judge Swain is a judge in this case. And, and essentially run, they will have the legal authority to run the jail as if they were the city. It has happened very few times in American history, which is why it is a slow process. Yeah. yeah, it's happened just a handful of times. It's happened recently, actually, but it's just not, hasn't happened a lot because it is, it is an extraordinary step to take mm-hmm. away the jail from the city. You know receivership. You just didn't have this language. Do you remember when the big banks failed? Yeah. Yeah. It was like the big banks collapsed and like, it was like, what happened? Too big to fail. And then the government came and like ran Enron mm. and ran to the, that yeah. is receivership. Okay. That process is also okay. receivership. So when something is like so big and there's a public interest in making sure that it works, the government can come in and say, hey, we got to run it. So the other thing in New York City, NYCHA, the housing, like the project, like the public housing is actually yeah. run by a receiver. Poorly though, it's like the receivership didn't fix public housing in your city, but it yeah, was, I was gonna so say, bad. Every Gothamist article that I see coming out about it is like not a good moment. But yeah, okay, that's a, that is a case study when people are like nervous about receivership. But but the public housing in your city was so bad that the federal government intervened and was like, okay, like a judge over intervened and said we will appoint a third party to run it because the city just cannot do it well. I'm curious too, just like in the New York conversation of it all, given that this would not be the first receivership that New York is getting involved in, clearly. Is there something unique as to why, like, the city seems to not be able to handle its business? Like, why can it not get its shit together? Because I'm going to guess there's other agencies and other things that also have similar issues or, you know, admin failures. And I'm curious what your perspective is on that. I think this is like a bait. I think it's just ego. I think that they, I think okay. that they're like, we're smarter than everybody. We got it. And like a death is a death yeah. is a death. It just sort of happens. And you're like, well, this is, you know, you have an obligation to do this better. And I, and it's that with the tension of not wanting to hold the COs accountable. You know, imagine if you had a school where nobody could read or write, but the principal is like, no teacher can be like teachers are just they do what they want and you're like well that doesn't work right something has to give right if no kid can read or write something working and it's not that the people are it's not that the teachers are bad people but clearly we gotta do something different that sort of rikers is like it doesn't work but he's unwilling to say that the that the people who work there have contributed to the bra he's just unwilling to do it so it just sort of is all we're like spinning our wheels yeah. And I'm curious about this commissioner dude, this Louis Molina. What's his story? I know you said not a fan. I'm going to guess that we're also not a fan, but what's the background? What's the story there? So he's like a longtime corrections guy. Uh, I don't know if him and uh, Adams had a, I don't know how they knew each other before, but he gets a point. He's, he gets appointed on day one, essentially. He comes in and he's very much a corrections officer's correction officer. He's like, that's his MO. Uh, he sort of bows down to the correction unit pretty early. And he definitely has the arrogance of like, you idiots, I'm here. And then people start dying. Mm-hmm. And they start dying in ways that he can't explain. It's like, well, how did that person choke to death in a in a pod with guards? How did that person bust his head wide open? How did that person, you know, get stabbed? How did that person overdose on cocaine? You know, like it just, the deaths start happening and that's really when it unravels for him. And then Rikers has had a historical problem where, you know, there, there have been times where 10, 15% of the guards on a given day call out sick, 20, 
they just call out or they just don't show. And he was unwilling to reprimand them. So like they would just no show, no call. They would go AWOL is what it was called at Rikers. And he just would be like, it is what it is. And you're like, well, that doesn't, you know, when a hundred guards call out, that's a lot of people who just don't come to work. You know what I mean? You can't mm-hmm. just not go to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they still get paid or. Absolutely. Still get paid. No consequence. You know, we know the former head of internal affairs there who had to, you know, terminate people. And yeah, there were people who would like go AWOL, get another job, maybe working somewhere else, but still pay. Cause like the commissioner just would be unwilling to terminate them and deal with the union. And like, that is Melina, you know? Yeah. That is wild. Cause then it too, like the guards end. it's like, what's the incentive? You can have two jobs, including one you don't have to show up to and still get paid. Why in this economy, why wouldn't you? So like no empathy for them, but like I see game wise where their heads at, which is definitely just the game. Crazy. The game is a yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then politically what happens is that COBA, the, the correction union has a lot of money. So the council is afraid of COBA because what COBA will do, say your council people, they'll just send a mailer to your entire district being like, Sammy supports criminals. And then you're freaked out because they have a mailer running being like, yeah. you know, she won't hold people accountable, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, totally. Wait, I know that's a, that political angle. Sorry, go ahead. Question to that too, because I didn't realize this, is that the Department of Correction is able to send out marketing material for or COBA is the, the COBA is the Corrections Officers Benevolent Association. They're the union for oh, the Corrections okay. Officers. So that oh, they, okay. they have like, they have like an ad that runs on the I don't know if it's still on, but they have an ad on the radio that tells a story of a of a woman guard who gets beat up by an inmate, and it is an example of the savagery of Rikers, right? Which true about that 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 incident is the only reason she's alive today is that another inmate pulled the person off of her. Right. Like the only reason she survived is because somebody not a staff member intervened. And that's the part that they don't ever talk about. Right. Yeah. It's classic. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to kind of what some of the reforms are that you guys are working on around Rikers and like what some solutions are. I know we talked about the receivership, but is there, you know, a running list of other things that are, you know, in the works? So that's the, that's, the, that's the end goal. That's the biggest thing. That's what we want. There's some things that the council can do to just rein Adams in while we wait for that to happen. So, for example, there's a board of corrections. That's the oversight body for Rikers. It's an old, it's a good body, old. It's like a functioning thing that's existed for a long time, blah, blah, blah. It's a model. They have a lot of power. So they can, so their cameras are over Rikers. Obviously, it's a jail. Uh, the Board of Corrections has access, immediate access to all footage. They can look up anything. They can see anything. That is like the historical power. To, they make policy for the jail, da 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 whole thing. Adams has essentially said no. He just said unilaterally, we won't, they have no more access to video. It's in the charter of the city that they do, but he just says no. So the only remedy is for the Board of Corrections to sue him or something else. But the problem with the law is that the mayor appoints a, the voting majority of the Board of Corrections. So his, his people are the majority right now, which is not helpful. So the council so much for could, checks and balances. So much for checks and balances. So the council could pass a city law, like just making it clear that the Board of Corrections has legal authority to see video. Like it's those sort of things we could do in the interim 
but nothing right. is going to compare to the judge just appointing a receiver. Totally. And I know that within the conversations, part of the receivership goal is closing Rikers altogether. So two questions off of that one being like, do you think that that's still possible? And second to that, like what happens once it does close? Like, are there other jails that are going to pop up? Like how does the city then navigate those waters? So those two strategies are separate, but related. So there's a whole body of work around the close Rikers campaign. So they're in there and those, they are in two camps. Some people are like, close Rikers and, and if you jail people, put them in existing infrastructure around the city because there are, there are jails in the city and other places. And then the, the, the plan that won was close Rikers and build new jails, build a jail in every borough but Staten Island so that people are held closer to home. That's sort of the, so like if you get arrested right now in Harlem, you go to the island. If you get arrested in Brooklyn, you go to the island. Whereas the idea would be if you get arrested in Harlem, you go to the jail in Manhattan. If you get arrested in Brooklyn, you go to the jail in Brooklyn so that your family can visit, stuff like that. That's like the idea. You're closer to the court that you'll get, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. What we would say on the receivership side is that there's no way to close Rikers if it is if people keep dying and if it gets too big. Because the plan for the closed Rikers is that there'll be like 5,000 people incarcerated on a given day. But under Adams, he just incarcerated so many people that well, we just won't have the space to close Rikers if he if he keeps putting this many people in jail. So we need the receivership to like tamp down the deaths, tighten everything up, and get it to a place where we actually can do something radically different. But we'll never do that with the chaos that Adams has incurred. Yeah. Can you also like paint that picture too a little bit more about like Adams and the chaos that he's created? Like what what specifically is he, you know, arresting people for more than, you know, what de Blasio was? Like, what does that kind of look like as far as like, why are all these people getting arrested all of a sudden under his administration? What are his policies? Yeah, so I'll tell you, I was at an event. I'm on all these boards and I'm at this event not too long ago. And Adam, this is not about the police, but this is a great example of who he is. He gets up on the podium and he says, when I was young, there was no homelessness because people stayed with their families. <laughs> and I was in there like, this might be the dumbest person I've ever heard talk. Yeah. That is safe to yeah. say. Just ignorant. That is such a crazy thing to say out loud mm-hmm. that I don't even know. Like, I don't even have a response to that because that clearly isn't true. You're like, what are you talking about? But uh, the best example of the over policing of Adams is that they are now arresting people for turnstile jumping in a way that just was not a priority under the last eight years. So, you know, it costs $2.75 on the subway and they now have like a whole plan to like just stand at turnstiles. So, you you know, officers make 60, 100K and they just stand at the turnstile. Like they're just standing there waiting yeah, to arrest fish to fry than that? It costs so much money to waste officers standing at, of all the things happening in New York City, the turnstiles are really a low priority. He also was convinced, I don't know if you remember this, but he was convinced that people were grilling, like barbecuing in the subways. So that was his, yeah, that was his justification for increasing NYPD patrol in the subways because he was like, I will not accept 
barbecuing in the subways. Shut up. What? I don't think anyone would. Who would want to actually eat anything barbecued in subways? <laughs> yeah, you're like, like I know is... that we have like an underground restaurant situation at one of the stops. Can't remember which one at this point. But that in and of itself, I'm like, absolutely not. Like, what? I mean, are they barbecuing rats? Like, what's the... I can't. That's just... So that, and that's like a real, like he, I'll see if I can like show you. Oh, it's just a yeah, screen sharing, but there is, I'll put the article in, but it's like a real, he really said that. Like, that's not even a, it's so fantastical that I have to give you a reference because it sounds like you made it up. You're like, oh, you're just embellishing. No, that's like, insane. No. He actually said that. You're like, that's silly. So do we think that he like higher arrests under his administration. Is that something he wants to tout? Like, is that something maybe he promised in his campaign that he's like, look, I have all these arrests and they're not like really legitimate because there are people just like hopping over the subway. Like, yeah, I think that he, you know, have you ever heard of broken windows policing? Yeah. So broken windows policing is the idea that you should focus on everything big or small because the, the little things add up. So graffiti and trash and da da da. You you focus on those because if you fix those, you fix the big thing. So that's why you focus on turnstile jumping because if you allow turnstile jumping, then that's a gateway to murder. That's what broken windows policing says. So you like are it's like weed is a gateway drug. Correct. <laughs> the, the, what we learned from years of over policing and broken windows is that that is not the strategy, right? That like yeah, that's not it. The subway should actually be free. We should fund the subway like. The subway, or it should be very inexpensive for people because yeah. everybody wins when people can get where they need to go, right? Like that's totally thing. But I don't, you know, I'm, I don't know what his long term. You know, I think he, you know, he got a he got arrested right around those murders. You remember those murders? There was like a couple murders right around election time. There was a boy junior. There was a big thing like uptown where like a group of guys killed a kid that they it was like mistaken identity, they, like killed the wrong person. Yeah, I remember that. But it was a huge case, right? And there were like a couple of those right around election time that scared people. And Adams came as like the law and order, I'll mm-hmm. protect you, da 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 da. And you know, murders are down in New York City. The thing about murder, the thing about the most violent crimes, murder and rape. So when we poll, interestingly, uh, women care about rape, men care about murder. So if you introduce either of those by gender, you will lose like. Whatever you want to do, those are the two things to talk about because women care about murder, but rape is the thing that if you introduce it, women and men care about murder. I say that because both of those two crimes are almost always relational, not random. Mm-hmm. Very few people randomly get murdered, right? It's always by somebody you know or around. Like, it's just not so yeah. that you are not really likely to get randomly murdered. It just isn't a thing, right? Mm-hmm. In the so the solution for those two crimes is very different than things like pickpocket. You might get pickpocketed. You probably aren't getting pickpocketed by a friend. You probably get pickpocketed by a stranger, right? Oh, yeah. But murder is actually going to be somebody you know or like have a relationship with, and that's what he's really dishonest about. Is that he feeds the idea of the random murderer, and it's like that just isn't. It's like not a thing. It's not happening. Totally. Yes. Also, can confirm. Like at my two group chats, the one with the girls and the ones with the with my, my guy friends. Like the girls talk about, like if there's a rape incident, oh my god, someone was raped on the subway, blah blah blah. blah. And then the guys, oh my god, these people were murdered. Like <laughs> interesting. It's proving the pudding right there. It's crazy when you poll. We polled. So the sensing project is an org that we love, and they do sensing. Obviously, they're called sensing project, and they're pushing for a twenty year cap on all sentences that like you just can't be sentenced longer than 20 years right so we polled it and if you ask people straight up 
20 year cap? They say, yes, we win. We win. We overwhelmingly win. But when you ask them the same question by crime, we lose. So if you say 20 year cap for murder, the guys are like, absolutely not. It has to be high. You say 20 year cap for rape, the women are like, absolutely not. It has to be high. Like, it's so interesting the way it works. And that's when we realized there was this like the rape murder distinction yeah. when we did that poll. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. <clears throat> yeah, so interesting. Well, I'm really curious too, just about this conversation and kind of how it can feed into a bigger conversation too, just about like our prison and jail system across the country. Like what kind of themes that we have talked about and see it happening at Rikers just like play into this bigger national theme of like what needs to be fixed across the board. Yes, I think in the in the jail conversation. It actually matters a ton that people know the difference between jails and prisons. Yeah. So if I go into a room and say people in jail should be able to vote, if you don't know the difference, you're looking at me like, that's crazy. Yeah. But if you know the difference, we're sort of like, well, they're being held. They could be held at home if they got out on bail. And if election day was, if they were out on bail on election day, they vote. But they just are poor. So they're not out on election day, but they have not been convicted of a crime. If you ask people, should people accused of a crime be able to vote? They would say yes. Like accused and not convicted, people would overwhelmingly say yes. Mm-hmm. That is jail. Jail is accused, not convicted. Yeah. So, so so much of the like conversation is rooted in like just definitions. And then conditions is like the last thing. You know, the hard thing about prison is that people in jail, because people think about them the same, is that people think it's like a hotel. So when you ask people for like, you know, basic things about prison conditions, they're sort of like, it shouldn't be a hotel. And you're like, I don't really know being locked in a cage is like a hotel at all. You're like, you're locked in, you know, that's not a choice. But so for instance, one yeah. of the biggest alternatives to solitary confinement, which is people held in a cell for 20 hours or more, something like that, is to put people in a common space and, and put and chain them to the desks. So Rikers has done this historically where they will say, you know what? they're not in solitary anymore and you're like okay cool but then they shackle them to the desks in a common area and you're like well i don't really know if that is great i just sent you i want you to look at it look at the picture yeah look at the pictures oh my gosh you're like well i don't really know chaining kids to desks is yeah all that better than you know wait so sorry where is this so this, this picture is a picture of Rikers, but this is a okay. practice that happens all across the country. Oh, so when you were asking about what should we be focusing on, it's like, yeah, we don't want people held in cells for 20 hours. We also don't want them chained to desks. That doesn't seem like it makes the most sense either. You know what I mean? Mm-mm. So the conditions of people in prison, like free phone calls, or there's a guy who I know from Ferguson who got who's incarcerated. And every time I email him, I have to buy electronic stamps and then I have to prepay for electronic stamps for him to email me back. So it's probably like $5 every time I email him. It's email. Yeah. I You're like, this Crazy. is a scam. You a scam. I mean? It's expensive to be poor. It is like, expensive to be poor. That is the the core of, unfortunately, I think American values in a lot of ways is like that phrase. But looking specifically like at this picture and at this practice. And I wonder too, like what practices do we then move to? Like, how do we, and I think 
to campaign zero's point, it's like bringing it down to zero, right? And like starting over, like starting as a refresh, but like, then what is like, what are the reforms? What does that new day look like? So the thing is, is that you actually know all of the answers to this because they're like comments. It's like, should we charge? So commissary, the commissary prices are negotiated with the individual prisons and jails or states and they are inflated. So like, if you had to decide, do we charge somebody $4 for a Snickers bar or 50 cents? It's like, we probably should charge them 50 cents. Mind you that the highest daily wage in American prison is like, or hourly is like something around 40 cents. Insane. So it's like, yeah. we don't need a study to be like, we shouldn't inflate the conversation prices. Do you know what I mean? Like that is a, yeah. you're like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Totally. Or like in places like Maryland and other places, you have to pay a medical copay to even request to see a doctor. So it'd be like four or $5, which doesn't seem like a lot, but if you make 40 cents an hour, yeah, $5 is a lot of money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wait, I have another question off of that too. Like, where does this, where does the money go? Like these inflated prices, like you think of like a business does it to obviously have a higher margin and make more money goes back into the business. But like in a situation like this, like where does the money go? Does it go to like the department? Does it go to the city? Like where, where are these extra dollars going? Okay. So prisons are run by the states. So it goes back to the state coffers and jails and jails because they're run by the town so so the real the real culprits are like the not big city jails but the random jails so there's like a there's a sheriff in a jail in a smaller town who got an allocation per incarcerated person per meal so it was like you know you can spend three dollars for breakfast five dollars for lunch seven dollars for dinner per person and he got the lump sum up front so what he would do is he would spend like 25 cents for breakfast, 50 cents for lunch, 75 cents for dinner, and then pocket the difference. Crazy. Insane. And then, you know, one, one of the things they were doing with in Louisiana is that in Louisiana, um, they have essentially created an entirely new designation for doctors who work in prisons and jails. So in Louisiana, if you, have a, if you have a permanently revoked license, so you can no longer practice medicine on anyone in the state or the country, they will give you a special license to operate in jail. Crazy. Oh, and there are prison doctors around the country who are vets, veterinarians, who are licensed to be medical doctors in jails and prisons. And you're like, you're oh like what God. slice of hell am I in? No. No. Yeah. Truly. Not that. And like, we wouldn't believe it yeah. if it wasn't our, if this wasn't our work, we also would be like, what are you saying? So I'm going to put, just, yeah, just so you can links. see it yourself, it just is crazy. You're like, well, this can't be, and this is what you remind people is that you actually don't have to be some wild activist, like far left mm-hmm. to be like, this doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't. Yeah. Totally. Oh it's, it's literally, it's basic human rights. Like why? Yeah. Like really, really basic. Like <sighs> the most of base, the most basic of rights. Well, insane to wrap with this very, very eye-opening conversation. 
how can people get involved and how can people continue to like stay informed on this stuff? I think that's really such an important piece of like, it's so easy to kind of like, if you can't see it, like you, you can't think about it, but how can people stay involved in this unstuff and get involved in with campaign zero or just kind of reforms in general? Go to Rikers.org uh, and you can sign up for the mailing list. Stay, stay involved there. You can follow campaign zero on Instagram. It's just campaign zero or just campaign zero on Twitter. And uh, stay up to date with what we're doing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us and we look forward to having you back on. Woo-hoo. See you Yay. later.